Good day, good folks. You are listening to Talk That Keeps You Woke. And with your awakening, we hope that you will take in the information and knowledge we provide. So make sure you like and subscribe while you hop on this ride as we inform, persuade, entertain, and engage in discussion. Welcome to Potlicker Podcast, which is knowledge to feed your soul. I may go one half of Potlicker. I go by Dr. A, the inquisitive one. A great debater, Mr. Slow Talker, a rhetorician, and an all-around nice guy, and a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. The other half of Potlicker is my homie, my dear friend for more than 30 years, Ken Parker Jackson Esquire, the legal one, Mrs. Creativity, never obnoxious, the gifted one, a terrific lady, and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Hey, welcome back. Hey, <laughs> we're back again on Potlicker Podcast, and I want to say, what's up, and what's going on with you? How was your past week? Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone. I am well. My week was good. How about you, Doctor? How was your week? Uh, school started. Trying to get back into the swing of things. So um, I'm still working with that. Um, kind of mess up my schedule of how I have to go to the gym and what times. Truck is in the mm-hmm. shop. But, you know, God is still good. And um, <laughs> I have no complaints. All right. All right, so those who know the show know we always start off with our wow for the week. And our words of wisdom this week comes from Rosa Parks. She says, God has always given me the strength to say what was right. To me, that just basically says she's not uh, scared or afraid uh to speak truth to power and and she always probably believes if you're right you're standing with god so that's my interpretation of her words of wisdom what say you i agree wholeheartedly with everything that you said the only thing that i would add is that what this reminds us is that this reminds us that God is what gives us the strength. Or if you believe in a a higher power or whatever you may believe in, it's something that has to be inside of you that is bigger than yourself, which gives you the strength to speak up and to speak the truth, especially when you have to speak truth to power because that is kind of intimidating at times to speak the truth to the powers that be so you have to have the strength within you and that strength has to come from somewhere and rosa parks reminds us that her strength cometh from the lord and that is all right those are indeed words of wisdom and to that i'll say amen (laughs) amen amen And let us move on. Oh, what's going on? What's going on? Okay. What's going so, 
we're going to jump right into what's going on in our world today. So our first story is a sad one. Uh, Dr. Antoinette, I think it's Candia Belly, who's an administrator at Lincoln University in Jefferson City, Missouri, uh, took her life. Um, and when students got back to college, to the school, they were dressed in black, mourning her life and starting a protest saying we, they should get rid of the president, Dr. John Mosley. It says many students, and this is from Jefferson City, Missouri, many students at a historically black college in Missouri, returned from Christmas break this week, dressed in black, mourning the suicide of a beloved administrator who had alleged bullying and racism by the school's white president. Known for keeping her office door open and greeting everyone at Lincoln University with a smile, Antoinette Bonnie Candia, Candia Bailey's death has spurred student protests and hashtag just for bonding t-shirts across the idyllic red brick campus in Jefferson City. While President Mosley agreed last week to go on paid leave pending a third party investigation, many of the students, the, the school's 1800 students and its alumni group are calling for his termination. A string of fire Mos hashtag fire Mosley social media posts have been questioned his qualifications his treatment of the black administrator and whether it was appropriate for a white man to lead an HBCU. Mm. Yeah. There's mm, a lot right. there. <laughs> so won't you unpack it for the folks? Well, first I, I have to say, first of all, let's distinguish the fact that there are actually two HBCUs that are called Lincoln university. Yes. One is in Pennsylvania. The one that is the subject of this story is actually in Missouri. So that's the one thing that we all have um, have to uh, point out. And something that was, you know, I don't think I knew that. When I think of Lincoln University, I always think of the one in Pennsylvania. That's number one. Number two, I mean, this woman, she was 49 years old and she was the dean of students, right? Dean of Student Affairs. Student but, Affairs, yes. Right. And it raises a couple Which is of a, a big position at a university. Right, right, right. Um, and it just raises a couple of issues, one of which is what how do you feel about a white man being the president of an HBCU? That's a question. I mean. Is that, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if that's relevant to this particular story as to why Dr. Candia Bailey um, was um, driven to the point where she felt in so much distress that she felt um, that her only way out was to die by suicide. Um, she obviously had mental health issues because she notified the university that she had depression and anxiety issues. And, and apparently she had disclosed this information to Dr. Mosley, who is the president of this university. And it seems as if 
despite her mental health issues, she was still terminated for, I mean, we could go through the reasons why she was uh, terminated according to the university and according to Dr. Mosley for, I mean, among other things, insubordination. Um, but I think, I mean, that's, I that's, think it's problematic. Let's, let's, let's not like under sweep those, um, allegations of insubordination, uh, in allowing an ineligible student to work, allowing an ineligible student to obtain a discounted housing rate and failing to adhere to confidentiality requirements in a grievance matter filed by two of her subordinates. Right. Okay. So these are the reasons why she was given for her termination. But I think it's problematic here because anytime you have a health issue or a mental health issue, it be, you have to, the, the university, I think your employer is required to accommodate you. I mean, it's not every, you know, it, it's not her fault that she had mental health issues and she raised these issues. And so they should have accommodated her for that. So the fact that she ended up. But in what way uh, did they not accommodate her? Do you know that? I'm asking. I don't know that, but there's no information in the article stating that they did accommodate her. Mental and there's health no issues. information that said they did not. Right. So we don't know. Right. We don't know, but I would assume that if the, if she did, if her mental health issues had been accommodated, perhaps she would not have died by suicide. I don't know that, but perhaps she would not have. And so now I think it's going to be, that could be an issue and her family could bring a wrongful death claim against the university for um, not accommodating her under the, the Americans with Disabilities Act, which requires you to accommodate someone's mental health issues or their physical health issues. Um, that's, that's the first issue. And then she felt as she felt what, for whatever reason that she was bullied and that she experienced racism by this white president and his administration for whatever reason. I mean, I, I don't know that, but those issues are, are relevant here. And I think the other issue though, is his, the appropriateness of him being the, the president of this university, number one, being a white male, number two, being a what? former okay. head coach of a basketball team and the athletic director, you, you can question, well, are you qualified the same way that, <laughs> that, you know, he got his PhD in educational leadership though. I, I know, but that doesn't mean that you have the experience. A PhD is a PhD. That's the education. Well, probably experience is different. He got a PhD in, a in educational leadership, and right. yet he was a basketball coach and an athletic director. So well, we don't know when he inquired his um, an athletic director is a huge position at a university. So I don't want to undercut that. That's We're not a, undercutting that, right, but it but, is different from what the role of the president. It's still, it's still experience in leadership, though. 
Well, I'm uh, going to defer to the people who are actually involved with the university. And if the students and the alumni felt that he wasn't qualified, then I would tend to defer to their opinion. Okay. You have the right to do that. I'm just saying, like, your first question, let's end. Should a well, white person... it's not person... the right to do it. It's like the... It's, hold on, hold it's, on. Let's, it's let's, let's go back sense. to your... Let's go common sense, you Yeah, say? it's common sense because... You, I, again, the students have had to go to school at two, have had to attend a school under the leadership of this particular president. And the alumni who are presumably involved in the, the everyday goings on of the university would have superior knowledge to me or you about what it is like to to have to navigate through a university that is that has this man at 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 the helm and in a leadership position the president of the university so they again they would know because they have that experience of attending the school day to day under I don't this know if, if you know, we're going down like, we're no, going down can I can I get Go a word ahead. in Edgewell? They we're going down a different road. If they terminate him, it should be for the things he said about uh Dr. Antoinette Candy at Bailey, like making jokes about mental health issues. Yeah, that is right for termination. Going into his experience, if if we have it or not, we, we don't really have his background experience. I'm saying being an athletic director is it's a lot dealing with leadership here because you're dealing with not just student athletes. You're dealing with a lot of different things at the university. And you're also working with the top administrative people. Um, let's talk about the first question you raised. Oh, so you're saying that. Hold makes on, hold on. Let me finish. The first question you raised was, should a white man be president? at a HBCU. And I'm saying, why not? Do you know that most of HBCUs were founded by white folks? Yes. Right. And okay. Funded, and funded. And, and started. Fund, because yeah. And funded. Yeah. yeah they rather I, spend I that money so you can be separate from them than to... Okay, go ahead. Well, what I'm saying is like, if we say, I just try to put it on, if we say he can't be president of a historically black institution, are we also saying that black folks can't be president of a PWI? Is that, is that the same? I, I, I don't think anybody said that white folks can't be the president of an HBCU. We, we, I simply raised the question of whether we think it's appropriate, whether we think it's, we didn't, we didn't say you can't. Okay. Obviously, okay. obviously he did. And obviously, oh, wait, 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 wait. People then, have in the past. Let, let's go on the word appropriate. Is it inappropriate for a black person to be president of a PWI? No, it's not inappropriate, but it's rare. It's rare. I mean, there are several black Okay. This at, is okay. Here's the thing. This is how PWI. this is how this is how I would state it. Okay, attending a PWI versus 
let's 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 just focus on a black student. A black student attending a PWI is a different experience from a black student attending an HBCU. Now we all know that obviously black students are qualified to attend many many any institution any institution in in the country. But the fact of the matter is that we have choices presumably. We have choices. So if you choose to go to an HBCU for specific reasons, and it's going to be different for every student, but I, I would submit that one reason why Black students, I think this could probably be true among anyone, any Black student who chooses to go to an HBCU. One of those reasons is you want a unique experience in a an environment that is uniquely designed to serve the needs of a black student and i believe that one could argue that a black president is in a unique position to understand what those needs are that's just the bottom line and that's just a fact do you yeah, think white opinion. people are in a unique position to be the president of a PWI? No. It don't make no. sense then. No, it, because it, if it, you're it, in a majority white country, then that's going to be the default. Your needs are going to be met as a default. What what do you mean your needs are going to be met as a default? What I mean is what I mean by that is a black student going to a white university is not necessarily going to have their unique uh needs met because it's not designed for you to have your needs met whereas an HBCU was designed specifically to educate black students although everyone is welcome that's what the university was designed to do to address the specific. Now, okay, let's go. Let's start here. Do, so you, do, agree you, think that, do you agree that black students have unique, um, unique uh, needs and requirements for their education? Is it unique? Like, do we? Uh, that's a good question. I really. I think that's what I don't we think I don't think when it comes to academics I think HBCUs are culturally more tapped in to African American students right than PWIs right, right? so do you think I that think the university when black students go to a black university the majority of time, I'm not going to say for all black students, but the majority of time that their cultural needs are met and they don't have to go about creating spaces like black students have to create black cultural spaces at PWIs. Exactly. OK, so OK. So assuming that that is true, do you think a black president would have superior knowledge being a black person and understanding the experience of black people in America 
having lived through those experiences themselves, do you think they would be uniquely equipped to address the needs of the students versus a white person? That's really just the bottom line. Okay, so what I would say is we're narrowing it down too much. What I, I would agree that most African Americans. I'm narrowing it down. Let me explain it. I'll explain it. I let most. Um, I would say most African American people are culturally equipped to handle their culture, their in group, more than an outsider is. I would say most, not all. I would say most, right? But just because you're the president of a university doesn't mean everything you says goes. It's not like a white person couldn't lead a HBCU. White folks work at HBCUs. <clears throat> I went to Morgan. I had professors at HBCU. You know you're in front of black folks and they tailored their syllabus and syllabi to uh, you know, uh, the cultural needs or the cultural wants, uh, the cultural uniqueness of African American students. Right. So, when anybody is the president of an institution, like if I'm the president of a Hispanic, predominantly Hispanic institution, I'm not going there trying to give them my cultural needs i'm trying to suit their cultural needs right right i think that folks are are able to now if you say better i'm not going to argue with that but i i don't think that that prevents and i wonder how he went from these other positions to the president of the university he must have been a well, I don't know, but it seems like he probably was a well-liked individual. If you're a white person and they hiring you at that job and you already worked at different areas on campus, it seems like you were well-liked, right? Because I don't think they would put you in there if they if you was a disgruntled or a mean individual, but I think he has a right to be terminated because of the stuff he was joking about with his mental health, about her mental health. I think that's, that's grounds for termination. That's immaturity. That's insensitive. And you don't need anybody at the helm that way. Um, and that's just him as a person. If an African-American person did the same thing, I would let them go too. So I understand what you're saying, but I don't think that's the grounds for him to go. No. I'm not saying that's the ground. I'm just saying this story just raises that issue. It just kind of, I mean, it's so obvious, you know, you have a white president and then <laughs> this black woman that is um, working in his administration ends up dying by suicide. It's just, just raises the question. That's all. Yeah. So I think this is unfortunate. I wish that, you know, I, if there were warning signs, somebody should have, you know, reached out to her. Um, this termination, I don't think what she did, those infractions 
are mm-hmm. worth terminations. They might be worth a suspension or a punishment. But to fire somebody, I mean, unless there was there's other things we don't know about. And this was mm-hmm. the straw that broke the camel's back. But it's unfortunately that uh, Dr. Candia Bailey is no longer with us because she seemed like she was adored adored at the university. Yes, they said that she was, that the president alluded to her being an angry black woman. Did you see that? Yeah. And she described that as a stereotype that has demoralized black women for, for decades. Yeah. Yeah. And it just got worse when she was asking for time off through the Family Medical Leave Act to deal with her severe depression and anxiety. And so that could have have her on edge. Right. And that's what that's what I'm saying could could possibly subject the university to um, liability. For, for her wrongful death. Yeah. Possibly. You know, he apparently she couldn't even get the time off under the act because of her um condition. So Yeah, we're gonna have to follow this closely to see to see what happens with this situation. And let us move on. But I heard that. All right. So we have another situation that's kind of creepy and wrong here. Uh, Ben Crump, civil rights attorney, is calling for a federal investigation of unmarked graves in the death of 200, I believe, 15 people Mm -hmm. um, behind a jail in Mississippi, like no one knew where these folks were, like they were like missing. And he's saying, why wasn't these cases like adjudicated? Why wasn't there an investigation to see what happened? It seems like these folks were just put to death and buried behind the jail. They called it a pauper's grave. A pauper's grave. Oh, that's that's a poor grade because the pop is a poor person, right? Right. And that's just like I think they dig one huge hole and just dump all the bodies in there, I think. Well, I, I don't know. I don't think they all died at the same time. So. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. Um, but I think they just dug holes back there and put them there with no names. So that's suspicious right okay. there. Um, and no markers or anything. Right. Oh, well, it, well Right, no like crosses or anything like that. It's just ditches. And then there was no, I don't believe there was any notification or notifying of the next of kin. This is horrible, really, what happened. You imagine like, you know, a relative of yours is just missing. Right. You don't know where they they, did, what happened. Did they fall off? And then the next thing you know, like 25 years later, you found out, They've been dead, buried behind this jail in Mississippi. Incredible. Yes. 
This is really incredible. I, I was curious because I don't think they address this, but how did, how was this discovered? Do you know? Like was somebody just out there mowing the lawn and saw, you know what I mean? Like, mm, I, I don't think they said it in the article, but that, yeah, that's my, that I, was my I would think question. somebody, somebody said something. Like, you know, there's bodies behind the prison. You know what I mean? Like, how would they, you know, I'm like, how would they know? But I mean, I think Ben Crump and everybody who's a proponent of this investigation um, is right for, for, um, for, for calling for it and for demanding it because it's like, what kind of country do we live in where this can, is possible, where you just dispo basically dispose of people with no notification to somebody knew that these people had relatives and no notification to the relatives and that you could just do this without even notifying the state. Like what the heck is going on in Mississippi? It's like, First the water, and now people come up missing and buried in a pauper's grave, come to find out. So it's just uh, inhumane and uncivilized to me. And although there were Black, white, and Hispanic people among these people that were uh, buried in this pauper's grave, a majority of them are Black. Yeah, that's what the article said. Right. So this one, too, uh, we're going to have to follow closely. We're going to have to find out what really what really was going on with the decision to put these people in an unmarked graves behind the jail. That seems suspicious to me. Right. And this is, the, this is what was the most shocking to me in this article. It said the chief of the Jackson Police Department, Joseph Wade, has instituted a new death notification policy that would have that would give relatives information about their deaths and the cause. You mean to tell me that there was no death notification policy in this state? What? That is insane. You know what I mean? Like every state has like a coroner's office and you know what I mean? Where they would, any part, anytime someone dies, they have to come out and, and do a report and all that. They don't have that in the state of Mississippi. What? That's just crazy to me. What in the cotton picking moves? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't understand that either, but this is another case that we have to follow closely to see if justice is going to be done or it's just going to be swept under the rug. Yeah, they're going to have to exhume all of these bodies. Yeah. That's crazy. So That's stay crazy. tuned for that. And let us move on. Okay, so Fannie Willis claims special prosecutor's wife is trying to derail the Trump case. So I'm going to let my partner really talk about this, and then I'm going to chime in. 
because we had some interesting discussions surrounding this topic. Well, I think um, by this time, everybody knows that Fonnie Willis is the prosecutor in Georgia that is bringing um, the claim against Donald Trump for when he, everybody heard the tape so far where he, um, so far everybody's probably heard the tape by now, um, where he's basically caught on tape asking for more votes during the presidential election in Georgia. He was trying to win Georgia. So he called and they got him on tape asking them to find a few thousand more votes so he could try to, you know, win Georgia for the presidential um, race back in 20, what was it? I don't remember. But anyway, so she's bringing the claim against him. She's 2020, yeah. 2020. She's prosecuting him for that. And as part of that um, prosecution, she was tasked with hiring uh, special prosecutors to assist in the prosecution. One of these prosecutors, uh, yeah, one of these prosecutors, his name is Mr. Nathan Wade. And uh, allegedly, one, yeah, Trump's Trump's co-defendant was the one, Mr. Roman. Trump's co-defendant, Mr. Roman, was the one who first raised this issue that Fonnie Willis is allegedly having an affair with this special prosecutor, Nathan Wade, that she hired among a couple of other special prosecutors in this case. Now, Nathan Wade, who happens to be black, has been paid so far, since he's been working on this case, he's been paid a total of $654,000. So he is in the process, Nathan Wade, the special prosecutor that Fonnie Willis hired to prosecute Trump is in the midst of a divorce. And now his wife, his current wife, who he's in the process of divorcing, is now trying to subpoena Fonnie Willis in her divorce proceeding because she's trying to negotiate a settlement and she's basically trying to get after the money. So Fonnie Willis is crying foul and she's saying this is nothing more than an attempt to derail my prosecution. I don't know if she is speculating that what, what would be the Trump and his attorney. What would be the implications or what are they trying to imply? Uh Mr. Roman, what is he trying to imply uh with even if Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade was having an affair or dating each other. Well, first of all, you have, okay. First of all, you can try, you can get this case uh, possibly dismissed based on a conflict of interest. So that's why I'm like, why Fannie? Why did you have to do this? Like, I, assuming that the allegations are true, number one. Um, you know, and it's looking like it could be true. KRS, one, one of my favorite songs he made was Love's Gonna Get You. Love's, love's, love's gonna get you. <laughs> and so that's what and it is. So you're saying that, that to me, is there a difference 
in hiring your sister to be a special prosecutor if she's a prosecutor and she's good? I, I'm trying to find out the implication. Like, I'm trying to find out why is the apparent or alleged uh, relationship between romantic relationship between the both of them uh why is that a why? bad situation or why is that uh unethical or why is it wrong i mean i, I might be naive but i'm i'm asking uh, that i mean that is what uh trump's attorneys are going to have to argue if they but but see here's the thing you don't it may not end up being an actual problem but you don't want to have these distractions in this prosecution you don't want to give them anything to try to hang their hats on in their defense this Why is what you call this is what you call this is what you call a zealous defense. You're going to grab at straws and make every argument you could possibly make. And when you're dealing with Donald Trump, you don't want to give him anything. But so that's it's what like I'm you trying to say. What are they giving him? Like, what can Donald Trump's side state? Like, this is a conflict is it of interest. Is it, it, how is it a conflict of interest? It's a conflict you, of you, interest. You're going to, you're going to. You're going to pick a special prosecutor regardless, right? Does it have to be someone neutral? Like, yo, my brother is the best prosecutor in the state of Georgia. I'm going to pick him. This is my, 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 what I'm saying to you is you, you're raising legitimate questions, but why, 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 if you're finding, right. If you're finding Willis, why put yourself in a situation where these, these arguments can be made and these questions can be asked or we have to deal with these issues. Now you've already derailed your prosecution because you're dealing with these stupid side issues when we need to be laser focused. What does, I'm just trying to say, like, what does that have to do with the case? One thing has nothing to do with the other unless they're because they brought up the 600 you're missing the point because now for, for one thing it's it's drawing it out. Right. We need this prosecution and conviction as soon as possible right. because we don't want him in the White House. So now you're drawing out, you're giving them another legal argument to make to draw this case out. But that's to, what I'm y'all still to, not. I mean, I'll say it again. What is the legal argument? Is it some they mentioned the money? So it seems like it was a misappropriation of funds, but it's not like he built them and they took it. Uh, is it unethical? Like, I, I, I'm trying to understand what they're trying to do with this. I understand why the ex-wife is doing what she's doing. She's basically saying, just come forth, admit that you have an affair, and that my husband billed the state for $654,000 and he got paid. So, when the divorce is final, I'll get some of that $654,000. This is the point. This all, all you need to know is that there an order came down from the Georgia Superior Court judge, Scott McAfee, ordering a February 15th court hearing into allegations of a secret romance between Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis and Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade. So now 
We're waiting to February 15th for a hearing on this issue that has arguably nothing to do with Donald Trump. But the election isn't until November, you know? So what's the delay? February 15th is right around the corner. It's like four weeks away. They're going to do it. What are they going to... It's two things going on here if I'm, if I'm correct. If, if I'm correct. One is the wife has an issue. The other one is Donald Trump's uh, defense attorneys uh, having an issue with it. <coughs> Excuse me. I understand the wife's issue and I see her argument and I see her strategy. I don't see what Trump's strategy is. What is that? Them having a relationship. Okay, so Roman. Okay, this is. I told you Trump's. I told. I told you Trump's co-defendant is the one that raised this argument, right? Yeah. So they're they want the court, as I said, to immediately dismiss the charges and disqualify Fonnie Willis from continuing to pursue the case against Donald Trump and those accused alongside him. Now, Makes this no is sense. the thing, like judges, judges, they get nervous over stuff like this because they can end up being reversed on appeal for stupid stuff like this. So that's what I'm saying. Like you never, this could actually work. What Trump, like, so they would have to dismiss the case and start from scratch. It's just delay tactics. Why wait, give wait, wait. him that? Hold on, hold on. I understand what you're saying. I'm still trying to get to it. It seems like they're making a case stronger that you're not to allow to have because they're calling it secret that you're not allowed. Like they're hiding it. Because to me, I'm. I would say to Fannie Willis, "Why did you hide? You know, I hired an individual that I'm involved with. Period." Oh, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing he's arguing. He's arguing uh, Trump's co-defendant and Trump's. Uh, attorneys are arguing that Fonnie Willis is enriching herself. Right. See, I so understand she enriched that. Herself, she enriched herself through the ongoing relationship with the the uh, the special prosecutor Nathan Kick Wade, back. whom she hired in 2021. Kickback. Right. So basically, she's he's been paid $654,000 as a special right. prosecutor. And right. in turn, he's using some of that money to take her on trips and romance her and take her out to dinner. And so therefore... Wait, wait, wait. Did they say that? That's, oh, that's what, what they're doing. That's, that's what they're alleging. They're alleging it, that he used the money to take her on trips? Right. Have they been on trips? They proved that? This is all a part of the allegations. They're allegations. Yeah, okay. I, I I didn't read that part of it. I thought that w what could have been wrong is paying the six fifty four with her saying to him like, "You know you're gonna give me some of that money, right?" Now that's wrong. I don't even think you know he can do whatever he wants with the money. But now they're trying to say that. The money that he's being paid, he shouldn't be paid that. That's what it sounds like. Because yeah, I don't care that, what you do. That's not the allegation. No, but that's what they're trying to imply. That's what they're implying. Like, you, you, 
you hired him so he can make a certain amount of money so y'all could do things, right? All that money that he's making, he shouldn't be making. You're paying him this money because you have a relationship with him. I don't even know if she has anything to do with paying. Like, is she in charge? I think you're reading that into it. I, nobody said he shouldn't be paid the money. They're just saying that. And if he should, if he can, if he's paid the money and he's allowed to make that money, he can do whatever he wants with that money. Right. That's, but that's the, what I'm saying. Why are hiding the relationship? That's fishy to me. Like I would just come out. What and do say, you mean they not? Why are you? Why are you saying they hiding the relationship? Because they say it's a secret romance. She's not copping to dating him. Did she say she was involved with Nathan Wade? That's that's going to be their burden to prove that. Okay, but why? So she's not going to come out and help them make their argument by saying, "Okay, you got me. But, I'm dating him." But that's she's what I'm trying to ask him. you. What is wrong with her dating him? I don't get that. What is okay, wrong? I, if it, I, okay, let me try to say it another way because I've already said it a couple of times. Let me just try to rephrase what I'm saying. I understand the mess. So you're going to talk about you causing the mess, but that's not illegal. Causing the mess is not illegal. They didn't do anything illegal. Huh? What is your question? My question is, first of all, why didn't she just come out and say, when I'm hiring this, you know, full transparency, I'm in a relationship with this. Because gentleman. first of all, we don't know the chronology of it. We don't know if they started dating before she hired him or after she hired him. We don't know that. She could have hired him and not known him and then gotten to know him and started liking him. I don't That's know. That's true. That's true. That's number one. What's your next question? We're no, gonna try to address no, him one I'm, time. I'm just trying to say, I don't see unless somebody it seems it doesn't like happen. That's what you are. Like okay, maybe unethical. this is what you're not getting. Then maybe this it is seems what you're like not getting. it's unethical. It does right. It doesn't have to be illegal for it to derail this prosecution. That's the bottom line. They're trying to derail the prosecution. And this is what happened. This is a zealous, this is a zealous defense. This but is the allegations have to you be take, I know, but you take every argument you can take to win this case. And that's what they're doing. So my thing is, is don't give it to them. So yeah, this could end up this could end up in a dismissal. If it ends up in the dismissal, they did something wrong. That relationship is wrong, period. It is wrong. Or at least it's made. You see how they made that argument that it's a conflict of interest because you hired this guy. Now, somebody sat down and figured this argument out. This is what I'm telling you. This is a conflict of interest because you, Fonnie Willis, took state money you hired this man, you paid him over $654,000 for his work. You're having a romantic relationship with him. And so he's taking some of that money and he's taking you on fancy trips. And so therefore you are being unethical. That's the misappropriation of funds. That's what they're trying to say. You misappropriating funds because you you made the hire to somebody you're romantically involved with. They didn't. Nobody said. Well, they didn't say that in this article. No, that you're I know they didn't say money. it in the article, but that's to me what they're alleging. Like you hired him. They, they say instead of you doing what you were hired to do as a state prosecutor, you are enriching yourself with with state funds. But hiring right. special prosecutors, right. and it's a very convoluted tenuous argument right. 
but it is an argument that they are making and you are losing focus on the goal because of your actions, allegedly. Allegedly, because this is all. Uh, I don't know if she losing focus. I think her response to the we're lady, sitting up here talking about this instead of talking yeah, about Donald Trump being convicted of trying to steal an election. But she's going more after his wife than Roman, right? Right, because now she's put in a position where she has to make every argument available to her. Okay, that's so what we, this is. We, that's how we, this works. We, we're going to follow this one closely, too, because this one was the most interesting one to me. <laughs> and let us move on. And let us move on. All right. So to our fourth story, this is also an interesting one. Dylan Stone Miller, a.k.a. the sperm donor. <laughs> so, Mr. Miller, apparently, I don't know how old he is now, but between the ages of 22 and 25, he donated 400. He donated his sperm 400 times. He got $100 a piece over those three years for that donation of those four years for that donation, which led him to make $40,000 in those four years. He said he did it for financial reasons to pay bills, to pay tuition while he was a collegiate student. Uh, one of the ladies that was a recipient of his donation contacted him. Come to find out, they started a Facebook page with all the people who were recipients of Stone Miller. I think they found quite a bit of people. Now he's saying he wants to meet all the kids, which they're saying 97. He believes it to be 250. He wants to meet all of them. What say you about that? Is that so a he actually took time off from his regular job to travel across the country and around the world because these, these children of his are in six countries around the well, world. He's making a good living as an engineer, I believe. Yeah, so I guess he can afford it, but <sighs> well, I mean, what do you think about that? I think it is. It's kind of, it's a little bit crazy. I think that when, I think at the time that he made the decision to don donate his sperm to get the money when he was between the ages of 20 and 25, his brain was not fully formed and he made a decision that I think, <laughs> that I think now he's like, I may have bitten off a little more than I can chew here. Um, because I think, when he made the decision, he was just thinking about the money he needed at the time. And now that he's older um, and he's learned that he actually has these children out in the world, it seems to me as if he wants to make a connection with them. And he talked about how when he, he talked about how when he met up with a couple of them, it was really difficult for him to leave them because 
you know, they all kind of wanted to know, well, when am I going to see you again? And it, I feel like he is making connections with these uh, children that he had a part in creating. And I think in hindsight, um, I don't, he may have made a different, knowing what he knows now, he may have, may have made a different decision if he could go back. Because I think what he's discovering is that it is impossible for him to maintain a real connection with all of these children. It's just logistically impossible because you can't be in all of those places around the world at the same time. And even he talked about Don't the difficulty. Of, <laughs> even he talked about the difficulty of having to leave these children once he met them. And I think he's really enjoying the connection that he's having with them. What do you think? I wouldn't have donated in the first place. Maybe to like. Why? Because you said you actually had this option. I mean, we all in college had them. They had ads going around like, you know, people want to get pregnant. <coughs> but talk about why you specifically decided that this is. I didn't want I didn't want kids that I created running around the country that I didn't know. OK, why not? Because then I, I just having somebody in the world coming from the community that I'm coming from that was fatherless or in some cases sometimes you know uh same gender partners are having kids that way also it's it like could be a, it could be a heterosexual couple that just could not yeah they can't um, conceive yeah right so they won't be fatherless they if i know them if i know them that's different i'm just talking about for me like i'm not being the dad like I have, my biology is running around in a child. Uh, my DNA is running around in a child that I don't know. I never wanted that. Okay. So let me ask you this. Are, let me ask you a question. So are you saying that if you had a biological child, you would want to have a connection with that child as opposed to Yes, knowing that that child is here and you don't have a connection. Right. That I, okay. that's why I wouldn't donate sperm. Okay. That's see. So reason. that's what that's kind of what I think I'm saying is that I don't real I don't think that this particular stone sperm donor realized that that is how he would feel because I think that that's how he feels now. Like I want a connection with these children of mine that are that I. I think the first lady party. shouldn't have reached out to him. I think she should have stayed with the agreement. And the agreement was you don't connect the father until the child yeah, is 18 years old. Well, you don't, I would say don't connect the father at all. I think you tell the child, you know, the situation and you could tell her why you did so, you know. So you don't think the child has a right to meet their sperm donor if they want to? That's a touchy situation because the sperm donor signed the agreement. And if he doesn't want to, because then all of a sudden there might be expectations. But I here's mean, the for, thing, health reasons, for health reasons, yes. That's what I'm saying. Then he donates. And I know you say is in six different countries. 
there's 97, you know, people. God forbid it is 250, six in the 250. It's more than 80 per country, right? So that's a lot of kids that you got running around. And there could be a chance that they connect with one another. And then if they have kids, then it's going to be messed up. Okay, but you said that the woman, the first woman should not have contacted him and she should have abided by the agreement. But he didn't have to respond to her reaching out to him. He voluntarily responded. I, that's true, too. Yeah. But if she wouldn't have reached out, he wouldn't probably wouldn't have, you know, thought about it. Right. Now he says he yeah. saw the Facebook page and all these kids on there as his. Well, that's a part of his uh, recipients of his donation. Because I, you're not a dad, dude. Like, that's not a fatherly thing to me. Like this should be at least, you know, and I'm I'm not talking about rape victims or anything like that. Please forgive me. But I'm talking about usually if there's a clean process of creating children like you did, you're doing it with somebody at the time that you you love or really, really like enough to share your uh your beauty and your body with that individual mm -hmm. um so yeah but hey hmm. he was a very generous yeah, donor to, to, to each his own and let us move on here we go yo here we go yo so what so what so what's the scenario here we go yo here we go yo so what so what so what's the scenario hey so now we're going to play Am I Trippin'? Am I Trippin' Game, created by Reese Colbert. You can get it at amitrippinggame.com. These are fun questions that you can, you can ask, you, you and your friends can talk about at the party, at your house. Ready, Dr. A? Let's go. Okay, I'm picking randomly from the middle of the deck. My husband and I have been happily married for five years. He has a 14-year-old from a prior relationship, and his ex petitioned the court for 14 years of back child support, despite his being a present dad. I told him that as much as I love him, there ain't no way in hell I'm letting my income factor into her fraudulent back child support scheme. I suggested that we get divorced on paper only to protect my assets. But he said, if I filed for divorce, our relationship would be over for real. Am I tripping? Yes, you are tripping. Girl, you tripping. That's too much. That's yeah, you, you're, you're tripping. Um, if he knew he had the baby for 14 years and, and he didn't pay. Yeah. You back pay. I don't like when you don't know you had a kid and then somebody brings it to you later and says you have a kid and mm -hmm. you have to pay back pay. I would have been like, I would have been paying the whole time. Yeah. You know, I probably would have tried to get with the young lady, but then you could, cause this happened to my, my boy, a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. Mother didn't say anything to him until the child was seven years old. So mm -hmm. he was seven years in the rear. Okay, so then he had to... He had to pay for that. And he's still mm -hmm. paying for it. 
Right. So if he was married, seven years or fourteen years is one of the two. So that's the thing. So if he's married, he is married. Okay. So now the court is going to consider their joint income in determining how much he's got to pay. They don't do that though with him. It's only his income. I don't know how it works because it's usually what you just said. You're right. Right. But it's not based on her income. It's based on his. I don't know. He He's in New York. I'm not saying New York laws are different because I've heard people in New York get hit up. Um, well, but I, I just think that's horrible. I don't think that the woman or the man should have to bear the responsibility. If, and, say for instance, what? if you go into a relationship with a woman who has a kid that's being raised by her baby's dad, I, I don't think any of my money should have to go into it. Now, if I'm helping my wife do that, then that's fine. But you you shouldn't make me. I, I bear no responsibility with that. Like, that's a marriage law right there that I don't dig. Well, this is why in this scenario, this woman is willing to actually get a divorce on paper. But see, I don't even know what divorce on paper means, because if you if you just if you say, OK, we just going to get a legal divorce, but we're going to still live together. The court ain't going to go for that. The court find out y'all living together. It's like you it's clear you're trying to avoid having to get your income factored into this well, if you can if you can do that's that, fraudulent. do that huh that's what fraudulent the court that's is probably, fraudulent. that's just like if you if you file for bankruptcy and then you try to take your money and give it to somebody to hold for you so me and my partner never were married we lived together 12 years they can't come after my money if 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 she had to pay child support to her baby's father, they couldn't do that. I know because y'all not married. Right, but they're not married anymore either. They're divorced. Uh, when I leave a divorce, I'm I don't say she tripping. I'm going to say she tripping if she's just going to get a divorce just to try to avoid paying this money. It just it, To me, I it would say she tripping too, but then I, you know what I'm saying? It depends on how much money it is. <laughs> Cause say for instance, say for instance, and y'all, well, I ain't gonna put y'all business out there. Say for instance, there were a couple making a lot of money, and they looking at the both of their income and feel like the child should be living at the level of both of them. Yeah. Oh hell no! <laughs> oh hell no! You know, no way. Come on now. Okay. That, that's like if. You know, the big R was paying child support, and all of a sudden they was taking five hundred dollars from your check. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If that that wouldn't bother you, I'm not going to get a divorce behind it. So you just going to let them take the money? I'm That's gonna, six years a year. I will, I will pursue them. any legal recourse I have to avoid it, but I'm not going to get a divorce. What if the court says only way I would get a divorce is if this was a surprise child that I didn't know about? <laughs> like, 
But then you leaving him for other reasons, though. But see, that's what I'm saying. And when you leave, like, you don't have to pay for his kids if you leave. So she's doing the right thing. No, but she knew about this child because she's, she, she knows that her husband was present in the child's life the whole 14 years. Okay, like, well, then, to, to me, that that's what the lady's doing is not fraudulent. She's trying to get you on back pay. Unless she says, she said to him, I won't do that to you. But then she changed her mind for some reason. I'm but not see, when she says he's like present, I'm assuming that he's present means he's providing the financial support as well. And hopefully he's, he's giving giving the wife his wife his money her money back. Because they're gonna siphon her check too. Boom. The five hundred dollars is gone. So you saying he just gonna transfer the five hundred dollars to his no, wife? No, I'm saying. The wife is saying that the husband was present in the child's life. So she's saying, I know that my husband has been present in this child's life for 14 years. So why is this woman trying to get him up into That's what I'm saying is that's what I'm saying. I, it implies that she's saying he has been financially supportive as well. So this woman is being fraudulent by now saying, Oh, I'm gonna need that child support. <laughs> She could still be fraudulent, but that's why I say you need receipts. Oh, yeah. If he kept all his receipts, he should be good. That's what I would say. I would give the lady a credit card, and every month I'll dump that money on. They could take that money and put it on there. But they don't do that. They try to take it right out to the check. I would refer them take it out the check and put it on a credit card so I could see the 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 whatever you're doing with the card, just proof that you got the, the, the money. So I think we both agree she's tripping, right? On to the next one. It's got to be a... Okay. Um, okay. I recognize a kid as the person stealing a package in a video posted on the Ring Neighbors app. The owner made it clear they would press charges against the thief, so I did not expose the kid's identity. I don't condone the kid stealing, but I have a bigger issue with locking kids up over an Amazon delivery. Am I tripping? Snitching no, you're not <laughs> tripping. This should be some restitution, though. Like, the kid should give it back. And I would go to the kid and be like, if you got the gift, give it back. You know, you can give it back through somebody else. And if you're not going to give it back, yeah, you that's the punishment. You 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 can't just say, oh, he just took your thing. That's okay. No. I'm sorry. You so you're saying she's wrong? She should expose the kid's identity? She said, I did. I, I did. think if the kid gives back the package, right? And say it was used a little bit or whatever, but it wasn't like messed up. Say it was a, a PlayStation. They brought their son. Give the PlayStation back. And then no, he shouldn't get locked up. Or buy them another PlayStation. So whatever. is she tripping if, for if not she is she that. tripping for not exposing the kid's identity? I don't think she was tripping, but she's tripping if she didn't expose the identity and the kid didn't do it, didn't, didn't return the package. Then yeah, you tripping. Because if you steal my shit, I want you to somebody to come and say, hey, it was the kid up the block that took it. 
See, we we one thing about you know we have proponents, and my friend she works in a juvenile uh, place in D.C. You know, uh, she just sorrow. December seventh is her birthday, right? That's the one. You know, I stay with in New York. Um, she feels the same way. But what I'm saying, if these kids did wrong, there's punishment. I don't want to lock a kid up because he took an Amazon package. All right, we don't know the value of the Amazon package. And then, so what do we do with them? Just be like, ah. Okay, let me ask you this. So if she go, if she goes to the kid and says, listen, I saw you on the video. I know it's you. You need to return the package. If you return the package, I'm not, I won't. You need to return the package. And let's say if the oh, kid says, me and I'll return it. So if the kid says, no, I'm not going to return it. You go, I, would are tell you, you, I would say to him, you got a good pair of sneakers because you better start to run. Because <laughs> then you're going to disclose his identity. Yeah, I'm going to disclose him. That's not cool. That's not fair. So you think she's tripping for not disclosing his identity. I, I had a disclaimer with it. And whether you like it or not, I get it. Shantae, uh, doctor, hey, listen, listen. If there's if, no restitution, she tripping. No sense because if he returned the package, he's disclosing his own identity. I told so you, you that I would tell him to give it to me and I'll return it. Here it is. Period. So if he doesn't give it to you. What did Y Clef say? <laughs> then you're gonna say, I know who did Can it. Someone please call 911. Use a snitch. Snitches get stitches, you snitch. Use a snitch. If you snitch on a child, you'll snitch. I I don't think she's wait, 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 wait. So see, this is how I look at things from all angles. I put myself in it. You ordered something, right? From Amazon that cost two thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and this negro snatches it. And mm-hmm. takes it. Mm-hmm. You, my friend, and you see it's on video, Niglet. You gonna <laughs> tell me you're not gonna say, "Hey, you need to return that," or and if they don't return it, say, "Okay, I gotta turn you in." I don't care. You stole it. Like we giving him a pass. Well, he in- no, you're not innocent. You took something that's not yours. Period. Now, if you a little kid, like five or six years old, no. But if you 15, 16 years old, yeah, bye. (laughs) I might. Okay. So if I tell, if I tell, if they stole your package and I tell you, Dr. A, I know who stole your package. I'm a, if he gives it back to you, are you going to press charges? No. Well, see, then I would tell you, I'm not telling this. I'm not telling the person. I'm not trying to put the guy in jail. I'm not. I'm not telling. That's why I'm not telling this owner because he's going to get the child locked up. That's why I'm not telling him. But I'm going to tell you because I know you're not going to get the child locked up. What I said to you is I had a disclaimer. I would try to get the package back and return it to the owner. I, I, I would say, look, somebody took it. I got it back. Here it is. He Boom. might get you locked up. He, he, but he might be I, like, "How hey, you got it? You stole it." Okay, come no, on. I know now who took it. You. 
I know who took it, but I'm not going trying to get this individual in trouble. And if she call the police, I'll tell the police the same thing. It was an innocent person that took it. They returned it back. What they did is restitution. I'm leaving it alone. How's an innocent person a thief? What are you talking about? No, I'm saying like he's you said not. It innocent. was an innocent person. I meant that like took innocent it. kid. Like he's an innocent kid, not innocent from the for the infraction. That's what okay. I mean. Okay. Like he's a kid that doesn't do any harm, but you got to learn and his parents should punish him for that. Okay. You want to do one more? Yeah. We always do three. Okay. I hate for my food to come out from the kitchen at a restaurant and not be piping hot. That is me. So I instruct the waiter to bring my food out as soon as it is ready. I won't wait for everyone else's food to come. If it means letting my food get lukewarm. Am I tripping? No, you ain't tripping. Cause I ain't stand. That's my number one pet peeve when eating out. I can't, my food got to be hot. You know, if it ain't hot, what do you tell them? If it's not hot, I I don't complain. I just don't, I just don't. You don't tell them to go back and reheat it? I'm not going back there no more, no. Oh, okay. Well, then you, then that ain't your number one pet peeve because your number one pet peeve. That's why I don't like eating out. But I'm not, I probably am not going to send the food back. It depends on what it is. If it's obviously, if it's some soup in the soup, if it's soup in the soup lukewarm, I'm sending that, but I'm not eating no gazpacho. I want soup. Look, look, there's nothing wrong with that. That's what I I, I would do, but I'm not going to go out and start eating at the table and everybody else on how they food. I'd rather do that. I'm going to tell you personally, I'd rather do that than have my food be lukewarm. Number one, number two, I'm a slow eater. So I'm going to still be eating when everybody else get their food too. You tripping. That's what I was. <laughs> so you tripping. Cause you're going to be like, um, you, Mr. You, you Hater, bring it. my food out now. I Cause I ain't got time it. to be waiting on him. I ain't praying over your food now. To me, the waiters and the waitress should know to bring all the food out at the same you time. You would think, right. Well, I mean, I never had that happen to me. Well, yeah, one time I did. They forgot my order. So you, okay, so if I go out to dinner with you and I told the waiter, hey, soon as my food is done, bring it out. Don't don't wait for um, Dr. A's food to be ready first because that's going to mean my food going to be lukewarm and i don't want it lukewarm i want I'll, I'll be okay with that because i'm your friend and i know you you you're supposed to be able to do comfortable things around people you comfortable with right. but if you're going out like i'm i'm thinking you going out say it's your delta group right or it's your business associate your colleagues at work whomever it's it's people you know but not people who you dine with or call every day you gonna right. do that i'm sorry y'all I have to eat my food hot. So that's why I have to put this request in. I advise y'all to do the same because when my food come out and it's steaming, I like to eat my food when I have to go. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I want my food hot. That's one good thing about when we went to Mastro's for our anniversary. That's one um good thing about the food is that it was hot like the plate was hot the food was like steaming hot that's how yeah, i like every my food. plate was hot when we went to mashrooms yeah, yeah that's what I like. hot too yes so that whole steak up yeah <laughs> exactly 
Exactly. It was warm because they, you're right. When they came out, the first thing they even said that before when the they bring the food hot. out, they said the yeah. plates are hot, so be very careful not to touch them in the beginning. And I was yeah. like, shoot, I got that food. I was cutting that steak. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to town on it. You can still dipping, hear the food sizzling on the steak. Yeah, food. dipping the steak in the mashed potatoes, the whole nine. Yes, I did yes, go yes. out I'm at the restaurant. Did you get the butter cake? Yeah, we did get the butter that cake. That butter cake is good, ain't it? But you yes. know what? I asked for my ice cream on the side because I don't like the ice cream to melt into the cake. Do See, you? I do. Uh-uh. Yeah. It'd be soggy. Then your cake be all soggy. That's if you, if, you wait, if you wait for it to melt. Dr. A, the cake is warm. You, it's going to melt. What you mean if you no, wait? But I'm saying like saturate inside of it. It just be a little smoothness on the top. That butter cake, that cake still be, you know, warm. It was good. You that cake. Me go, go order it now. <laughs> that cake is slapping. It's slapping. It's a killer, though. Oh, it's yeah. Definitely, it's definitely a killer. And let us move on. The blackness. blackness. Keep the keep on. Hey. Never say die. Keep on. Blackness. Keep the keep on. Never say die. I love this song. Okay. So. So today we want to resume a series of Black History Facts that we have talked about in the past. Um, We talked about Black towns that have been basically buried underneath lakes in this country. And there's a whole list of them. We've gone through some of them. Today, we're going to highlight one in Ferguson, South Carolina, as our little known Black History Fact. Now, let's review a little bit about these towns that have been buried underneath lakes. They're called drowning black towns. So drowning black towns was another form of ethnic cleansing that used to take away, that, that was used to take away black generational wealth and make the area wider. Drowned towns, as they were called, are towns and villages flooded by the creation of dams destroyed by the advancing sea or washed away in floods and never rebuilt. One such town is Ferguson, South Carolina, which was a majority black town at one point. It contained black homes, businesses, a church, a lumber mill, grocery stores, and a school. It was purposely flooded to create Lake Marion, the largest lake in South Carolina. It stretches nearly 110,000 acres of rolling farmlands, former marshes, and river valley landscape. Many people fish here and visit here, but are not aware that beneath it, is the black town of Ferguson, South Carolina, which is buried under Lake Ferguson. Ferguson, South Carolina, our little known black history fact. 
Okay. Let us move on. And let us move on. Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. Okay, I all hell no. Trump is warning Colorado Supreme Court uh, to leave him on the ballot. Okay, little misspelling there. Forgot the E. But yes, to leave him on the ballot. What say you, partner? This is outrageous. He's saying leave him on the ballot or else it's going to be chaos and bedlam. Pandemonium. This is absolutely outrageous. You know why? Because it's giving me January 6th vibes. Because this is the same thing he did back then, like inciting basically a riot. And that's kind of what he's doing here to me. He's like, it's like a dog whistle to his supporters that, okay, if they don't let me back on this ballot, y'all need to create chaos and bedlam. You need to get in the streets and you need to do whatever you need to do to protest. Similar to what he did on January 6th when during the insurrection on the Capitol, on the United States Capitol. So that's why I think this is, he done lost his mind. Like, you really trying to do this again? Like, yeah, this is crazy. To me, this is the reason why this guy shouldn't be the president of the United States because he's a dictator and he feel he has the arrogance that he's better than everybody and he knows what's best for everybody. So do it my way or don't do it at all, you know, or the system gets shut down. It takes a certain type of asshole arrogance to be that way. And then you have some people they were interviewing on you know on CNN like when they're out with the people saying do you would you rather have Trump as a dictator or Biden as president they said Trump as a dictator and some of them were justifying it's just like this country needs you know some dictation I'm like speak for yourself like you need somebody to rule over you like you're not an adult like you know things are going different like a lot of people say what they feel is enough you know they bring up things that we shouldn't have these people or these group of people start their own agenda and i'm like what are you talking about they're just trying to be inclusive um and you want trump to to back that and and you think he's doing good um and he's not he's just causing chaos and disruption which can lead to a civil battle and absolutely that's not what we want you know we don't want civil war in this country we're above that and um democracy is the only thing that is the most i would say usable system that we have um because we're supposed to you know one person one vote that's how it should be um i don't this country never needs a dictator no, he wants to be Putin so bad. He wants to be like Putin and be president for life. And let us move on. Give it up, give it up, give it up. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Okay. 
Okay, so this week we're going to give it up to Spelman University, particular uh, Rhonda Stryker and William Johnston. They, uh, who's Johnston is the chairman of the Wealth Management Fund Greenleaf Trust. Uh, and they donated $100 million to Spelman College, which is an all-women's college on the HBCU in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, this is the largest largest donation given to an HBCU in history. So, big round of applause. <laughs> the Spelman College for receiving this amount of money, and I'm sure it will do wonders for them. What yes. do you have to say? I think this is awesome. I think it is great that this is a, you know, this is a, a one-time donation that is the largest ever. And I think it's great that a black couple has these, these kinds of resources that they can, <laughs> that they can uh, write this check. I think it's all beautiful. It's great. And it's, I think it's, uh, it's needed. It's necessary. I know we talked about how HBCUs are underfunded in some states. Um, and so it is great that this is happening. All righty. Did it again. <laughs> the remix. Ah, here we go. <laughs> to wrap up the show. Okay, today we didn't have it. Today, that was the first. Well, one of the first times that we did so. So, our words of wisdom today was: God has always given me the strength to say what was right, but that's by Rosa Parks. Our what's going on today was HBCU administrator who uh, killed herself uh, a death by suicide appropriate way to say that um, Ben Crump who uh, is calling for a federal investigation for 215 uh, people that were buried behind a jail in Jackson, Mississippi Fannie Willis claims special prosecutor's wife is trying to derail the Trump case and a sperm donor, donor wants to meet his biological kids. Um, little known history, uh, black history was Ferguson, South Carolina, another missing black town. Uh, and all hell no went to Donald Trump warning Colorado Supreme Court to put him on the ballot. And we gave it up to Spelman College, who received $100 million in donation. With that being said, as always. Thank you, everybody, for taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us. And as always, in parting, we wish you love, peace, and knowledge to feed your soul. Knowledge to feed your soul. We will see you all next week. Take care. All right.